You're listening to the City Hope Church podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope this can inspire you and build your faith. Enjoy the message. Hey, good morning, everybody. How are we doing this morning? You excited to be at church? Yeah. It's a great, beautiful fall weather we're having, ain't it, Uh, outside and uh, Hey, it's awesome to be here, and uh, I just want to welcome everybody. If we haven't got the chance to meet, my name's Noah, and I'm the lead pastor here at City Hope, and it is an honor uh, to be here uh, at church with you uh, this weekend. we got a special weekend for you as we wrap up a message series on Joseph. And uh, before we move any farther, I want to look right into the camera and say welcome to those who are joining us online. Uh, There's many people who join us, church, every week on Facebook and YouTube and listen to the podcast. Uh, Wherever you're at, on the other side of that screen, we are so excited to have you, church. Would you put your hands together and make them welcome? And again, it's a, it's a great day. We're in this series on Joseph, and I can't wait to wrap it up today. Uh, I've got a special message for you that I think um, is going to touch every one of our hearts this morning. And, uh, and at the end, we even get the opportunity to take communion together. And so there's communion elements around right in the seat back in front of you. And uh, so we'll do that at the end of service. Uh, and I can't wait to see what God does today. Um, but before we jump into the message, I want to tell you about one thing that gets me so excited. In fact, we are starting a sermon series next weekend called Good Question. And good question, we have done this series in the past, but it's been just about two years ago since we've done this series. What I'm excited about is over the next couple weeks, I get to answer your questions, the questions that you submit. And so maybe you have questions um, about, uh, about different topics, about uh, maybe it's just uh, different things about life. Maybe it's different things about what you don't understand about the Bible. Um, we've already had, we've put this on social media. We've already had so many people submit some questions. Some people have asked, what does, well, uh, things like, what does the end times look like? You know, different things like that. And if you have any type of questions or topics that you were like, man, I would really like to hear a message on this would you scan this QR code or you can go to cityhope.life and, uh, and scroll through to the events tab, find the good question tab, and you can fill out uh, the little form. Can I tell you this form is anonymous, so we have no idea who sends these questions in. You don't, uh, unless you type in your name, we don't have any idea uh, who sends these questions in, and so it's completely anonymous. Uh, but we would love your questions because I am crafting the next several weeks off of your good questions, and then... On top of that, we're going to take this next first Wednesday that's coming up, and we're going to have a little panel together where we, maybe I don't get a chance to answer everybody's questions, but we're going to have a panel where we can answer a lot of questions in a short amount of time. And uh, I'm very, very excited for this. This is one of my favorite sermon series that we, uh, that we do all year. In fact, I don't even, I don't have the message, I don't have any idea what I'm preaching on next week. And so you guys, I'm relying on you today to give me some ideas and some topics, and uh, I think it's going to be awesome. And uh, I would encourage you as well, this is a great series to maybe invite your friends to because these are just, these are going to be popular topics that you pick. You might even encourage your friends to fill out the form and ask a question. I'm looking for some good questions, everybody. Anybody got some good questions? All right. So fill this out and, uh, and, and, and you can scan that QR code right now and, uh, and be a part of that series that I'm very excited about. All right, so we are going to jump into part number uh, three of Joseph, where we have been talking 
about Joseph, uh, the Joseph who is not Jesus' dad, but the Joseph who is in the Old Testament, the coat of many colors, Joseph, as many of you know him by. Uh, if, you were, if you grew up in Sunday school, you probably are well familiar uh, with the study and the story of Joseph. And really what we've been talking about the last couple weeks is this fact that Joseph's life was a life, honestly, his life was a total mess. How many of you believe you saw last week? His life was a total mess. It's, it's a messy life, and it's filled with what we've been calling all kinds of detours. He had all kinds of detours in life. And, uh, you know, as we talk about detours, I wanted to kind of end today by talking about what I believe is the worst type of detour that you can be in. You ever get into, you ever get stuck in traffic and you ever get in the middle of a detour and you don't move at all, like you're stopped. How many of you believe that is the worst thing possible? Like I think, I can't think of anything much worse in my life than being stuck in traffic somewhere. You're just, you're just moseying around in your car. You're just driving right and, uh, and you get rerouted. And for me, I am, you know, I, I, of course, I, I don't like any type of detours in my life, but if I have to take one, at least I want to take one that moves. I'm okay as long as there's some type of movement, right? There has to be movement, even if it's 5, 10, 15 miles an hour, I, I, I can bear it. But I am that guy in the middle of a detour that uh, I, I get so upset when we're stopped. I am the guy that switches lanes every like five seconds, you know, weaving back and forth, even if I, even if I just pass, even if, if the one lane's just going like two or three miles an hour <laughs> faster, I will switch lanes just to get to the fastest, just so that I can have my movement. My wife's shaking her head right now because it drives her absolutely nuts. Uh, it does, and Emily's always just like, relax, relax. That lane isn't even going much faster. And I'm always like, you need to relax. You know what I mean? Like, like that lane, how is that lane ever going to see my city hope sticker if I don't cut them off? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Some of y'all are guilty of it too. I, you cut me off and, uh, and I, that's what I'm saying. It's just like, and, and that's the, it's, if we, I got to move, I got to move. And plus, you know, we're two cars of head, you know, I'm, I'm counting. I'm like, you know, we were back there with that car, but now we're like three cars in front of them. And, and I tell you, but when I absolutely lose it, is when it comes to a complete stop. And it's, you just can't go anywhere. I'm like, why are we stopped? I have been known to tell Emily to get out of the car to look at why we're stopped. You know, like, would you, you we'll catch up. <laughs> you know? and when I have kids, that's going to be their job. Hey, kids, get out and see if you can get us moving. <laughs> oh, I have to have movement. I have to have movement. And uh, maybe this is how some of you feel uh, right now on your detour. Maybe you feel stuck and you feel like, I just don't have any movement. You feel stuck in something. Maybe you feel stuck in your career path where you are right now. Maybe you feel like there's no way to move forward. You're just stopped. Maybe you're stuck, maybe in a marriage, or maybe it's because of a divorce. You feel like your life is paused. Maybe it's an addiction that has made, that, that has caused no movement in your life. You were just stuck exactly where you are. Maybe you wake up every morning and you just feel stuck. Maybe it's mental health stuff that is just like, man, I just don't feel like I don't even want to tackle the day anymore. I just feel like there's no movement in my life. Listen, there's a lot of reasons why uh, you, you could feel stuck on a detour. But what I want to talk about today and what we're going to see in the story of Joseph today is I believe the number one reason why so many people get stuck. And can I tell you this week, 
<laughs> this Joseph series, I told you in the beginning that I've been excited for this series for, for several months, and, uh, and, and honestly, I don't know why I was so excited about it, because this series has kicked my butt, honestly, and, uh, and it, it has been a hard series to bring to you, and I don't know why, it's just not, the, the content's just not flowing, and, uh, and, and today, I was, I, or honestly this week, I was really struggling with this message, I was just trying to bring you something that I thought, I, I always want to bring you something that you can go home with and something that you can apply and, uh, and something that's very sticky, you know, and that's, that's, that's what I want to do. Uh, and I've struggled with this topic, bringing you this one here today, um, because I have actually just got out of a series, a four-week series, talking about this topic on forgiveness. And I thought, I can't preach another forgiveness series so close when we spend an entire month talking about forgiveness, but I really do believe today that someone needs to hear what this, what this message has to say. I couldn't get this off my mind. I couldn't switch it around. This topic is not a popular topic when we talk about forgiveness, but my job as your pastor is not to be popular. Sorry, but uh, I, my, my job is to let the, the, the power of God's word transform you and change your life and so that's what I want to do today, and even though maybe I've preached several messages on this topic, I feel, I, I just have a sense that someone needs, we need to talk about this idea that nothing will halt your movement past a detour more than unforgiveness. And I don't know what God is doing uh, in, in our house and in this place, but it seems like this is a topic that we really need to talk about because this is something that's just been, uh, that it's, it's, it, we've talked about it so much and I just really do believe that we need to talk about it again today. We need to talk about this idea of unforgiveness. Now, why would you say, like when I talk about movement and like what, what would stop you in your tracks, why, why is this true? Why would unforgiveness hurt us so bad? Well, I believe it's because that when we're, when we're on a detour, there, when, when you're in the middle of a detour, there's always someone responsible or at least partially responsible for why you are on that detour. Now, maybe, I, let me say it like this. There's a face and a name. If there's a reason. There's that reason why you're on the detour. Even if it's your own face and name, there is a face and name associated with why you are where you are in life and why you feel like you might be on a detour in life, even if that's your own name. Now, no matter what hurts you've experienced, no matter what you've been through, can I tell you there's always a dilemma, and the dilemma is, do we hold on to that unforgiveness or do we forgive? And can I tell you, the closer you are to somebody, the harder it is to forgive that person. And, and it's, it's just a fact. And in Scripture, we see it. In Scripture, it, it, I, I, I wanted to bring this to you in this Joseph series because I don't know of anyone outside of Jesus that had a better excuse not to forgive someone than Joseph. I mean, think about Joseph's story for just a moment. Think about what you know about Joseph's story. Joseph grew up in a single parent household. Joseph's mom dies when he's really young. He's raised by a single dad in a very dysfunctional household. I mean, I told you the first week his dad has three different wives. I mean, it's a very dysfunctional household. His brothers hate him because he's the favorite son. They hate him so much I, and, and if you think hate's a strong word, Scripture literally uses the word hate. That's the, it says that the brothers hated Joseph. They hated Joseph so much, they threw him in a pit. 
They sold him into this. They, they thought they were going to kill him. But instead, they sold him into this human trafficking ring for 20 pieces of silver so that they could get, just get rich quick. And then, not only that, but then he's wrongfully, when he does kind of move up in the ranks, even as a slave, he's wrongfully accused, and then he's thrown back into prison. I mean, he's had this horrible life. And just picture Joseph for just a moment. Picture him sitting in this dark prison with like rats and stuff running all around him. I mean, like, think, what, what do you think he's thinking about? I mean, he's got to just kind of be thinking about if my brothers, if my brothers wouldn't have thrown me in that pit and if this wouldn't have happened. And like, he's got to be plotting. Like, if I'm there, I'm probably plotting revenge, everybody. Like, I'm going to get them back one day. But as he's in prison, kind of in a twist of fate, he ends up getting out of prison because he's the only person that can interpret Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh has this dream. And remember, we talked about the dream last week of the cupbearer and, and, and the baker. And Joseph interprets their dream. And then, and, then, and then they go back and they start working with Pharaoh again. And then Pharaoh has a dream. And the cupbearer remembers, oh, hey, there's this guy in prison that can interpret your dream. And he's the only one that can do it. And so Pharaoh brings him out of prison because he's the only one that can interpret Pharaoh's dream. And he tells Pharaoh, Pharaoh tells Joseph the dream, and, and Joseph says, okay, here's what the dream means, and means that in seven years, there's going to be a famine. And if you don't prepare for the next seven years, it's going to wipe everybody out. Like, you have to start preparing now. And Pharaoh likes Joseph's interpretation of the dream, so much so that he promotes him to the second most powerful man in the entire world. Like, Joseph controls... The entire, all the grain and all the food distribution for the entire world. That's how powerful this government is. And then, just like Joseph said, seven years later, famine hits. And guess what? It's been, famine hits 20 years since he's been in the pit, 20 years since his brothers betrayed him, 20 years this famine hits, and guess who shows up to his office door? Those, those brothers, those horrific, right? Those, those brothers that betrayed him are now showing up at his office door needing food. I mean, this kind of sets up like a movie, does it not? Like, it's like our favorite movie. And it sets up like when the, the brothers show up and they knock on Joseph's office door and Joseph pulls out. He says, say hello to my little friend, right? You know, like, that's, that's kind of, that's what we want to happen, right? Like, that's exactly, like, it sets it like revenge, finally. Absolutely. He's been waiting 20 years for this. But Joseph doesn't do that. I mean, Joseph uses a different playbook, and he, he, he uses a playbook that I think can help us also move past us being stuck on a detour. And he decides to make, honestly, uh, like a, a, a big boy decision here, <laughs> and he decides not, not, to let this, not to let this hurt and unforgiveness tear him down. Instead, he starts running towards his destiny again. I want to show you how you can do that very same thing. We pick up the story in Genesis chapter 42, verse 6. It says this. It says, now Joseph was the governor of the land. He's the person who sold grain to all of its people. Remember, he's a very powerful person, like the second most, the second greatest person in charge at the time. And it says, so Joseph's brother, when Joseph's brothers arrived, 
they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. And you're like, dang straight, right? They're going to bow. They better bow down. Like, you little punks, why? <laughs> At least that's how I read this story, you know. I'm like, they better have bowed down. You can have fun in Scripture, everybody. Like, it's, it's meant to, like, enjoy it. And just, yeah, so here we go. But what's so interesting is what happens here is as soon as Joseph saw his brothers, Joseph recognized his brothers, but he pretended to be a stranger, and he spoke harshly to them. And you can see that all of a sudden there's this anger, right, that's been building for 20 years. He's the, and, and, and so he begins to speak harshly to him. But the most interesting part to this is that although Joseph recognized his brothers, the brothers didn't have any idea who he was. They didn't recognize him. And you say, well, why in the world would Joseph recognize his brothers and they wouldn't recognize Joseph? Well, at this point, uh, Joseph is completely Egyptian. I mean, just like he's, he's completely Egyptian. He acts like an Egyptian. He talks like an Egyptian. He walks like an Egyptian, like he is <laughs> absolutely, he's completely Egyptian. And in this day, Egyptians were these clean-shaven uh, I, I mean, it just, he just would have been like a, a clean-shaven, completely clean-shaven bald. Think like Bill Spiller bald, if you know. You know what I'm talking about? I, I had to, if you missed last week, Bill, was, uh, Bill did the pastor appreciation thing last week, and I had to get him back. And so anyway, thank Bill Spiller bald for, with me for just a moment. I mean, just, uh, and uh, Anyway, he, he would have been, Joseph would have been clean shaven here, and, uh, and Hebrews would have had these long beards and this long hair, I mean, this really scruffy look, and uh, he, he even uses, uh, it, it, Joseph at the time would have even used an interpreter because he would have spoke the Egyptian language, and so, so they didn't recognize him. The brothers had no real way of recognizing him, plus he's 20 years older, so he looks quite different. And so what happens next, although they don't recognize him, is that what happens next is Joseph remembers the dream that he had 20 years ago. He remembers when he was 17 years old and he had this dream of his brothers bowing down to him. And you remember that dream got him in all kinds of, all kinds of trouble. And you think, oh, that's really cool because that just happened, right? His brothers just bowed down to him, dream fulfilled. Well, not exactly. It looks like that happened, but it actually didn't. Because in Joseph's dream... There was 11 brothers that bowed down to Joseph, but here we only see 10 brothers that are along on this trip, so there's only 10 brothers bowing down to Joseph. You want, you want to know why? Well, it's because Benjamin, when Joseph, when Joseph's, uh, when, when Joseph ended up, the, oh, let, let me say it like this, when Joseph's brothers told his dad that he was dead, there was a new brother, Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, all of a sudden became the favorite in the household. And so Benjamin, Joseph's younger brother, actually got left at home because he's dad's new favorite. And so immediately we see this, we, we think, oh, well, the dream's fulfilled, but it's actually not really fulfilled. And so what Joseph does to try to fulfill this dream is he immediately next in scripture accuses them, accuses his brothers of being spies, he says, hey, you guys, are, are you trying to spy on us? And he did that on purpose because he knew that if you were a spy, that would have been a capital offense against you. That means that Joseph could have literally took them out back and killed them immediately. Could have put them to death right then. But instead, 
Joseph just throws his brothers in prison for about three days. So they're in prison three days. But then Joseph remembers while they're in prison, he remembers, he starts thinking about his dad. He starts thinking about his brother. And he still loves them very much. I mean, he still, he still really liked, because they, they're not the ones who betrayed him. And he thinks, well, if I don't send my brothers back with food, then my other brother and my dad, they're probably going to die because the famine is so bad. And so Joseph has an idea. And he says, hey, I'm going to go get the brothers back. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let the brothers go back to their home, but on one condition. I'll let them go back, but you have to keep one brother here in jail with me. And so the only way that you could ever get that brother out, Joseph says, is you have to bring Benjamin back with you. I need all the brothers together. And so all the brothers agree. And so Joseph throws one of his brothers, Simeon, in prison. So Simeon's in prison, and all the other brothers are walking out. And as all the other brothers are walking out, Joseph overhears something. And look at what happens with Joseph. It says in verse 24 that he literally turns away from them as they're leaving, and he began to weep. He turns away, and he began to weep. It's almost as if all 20 years of the pain, of the hurt, Joseph, it's as if he just begins to process what's going on, and he begins to weep. And so the brothers go back home, and they go home, and they go to dad, and they say, okay, dad, we've got good news and we've got bad news. (laughs) Good news is we've got food and we're going to live, right? Bad news is we kind of had to leave Simeon in jail. We had to leave someone in jail and we've got to bring Benjamin back in order to get all of us back together. And literally, you can go read it in scripture, but the dad basically looks at the brothers and goes, well, sucks to be Simeon (laughs) because he was not sending Benjamin back. He loved Benjamin so much, he wasn't willing to risk it. And so, forget this, for two years, they eat all the food that they brought back while Simeon is rotting in prison, everyone. Like, you think your family's dysfunctional. Let's talk about this for just a moment. Like, you think your family's all messed up, but you haven't been in prison, right? I mean, like, this is messed up. So they eat all the food, but eventually the food runs out. And so the only choice that they have to, bring the, to, to, to get food and, and bring the brothers back is to take back Benjamin or they're going to die or this is it. And so the brothers go back. And can you imagine, like, Joseph knows it doesn't take two years to travel back. You know, like, so, so they know that Joseph knows that. And so the brothers go back and they're like trembling in fear. I want you to watch what happens. They bow down before Joseph. They bow down before him to the ground. And just like that, Joseph's dream when he was 17 is fulfilled. All 12 brothers. And then Joseph takes out his sword, right? And that's when he says, say hello to my little friend. Right? No, no, that's not. No. But that isn't that kind of what we want? You know, like we, we, we want this revenge. But what does Joseph do? No, Joseph says, deeply moved at the side of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep there. He went into his private room and he wept there. Again, it's as if he just begins to process 
all of the pain that he's gone through. And then Joseph, he wipes his tears away. He pulls himself back together because he hasn't even revealed himself to his brothers yet. His brothers still don't have any idea who he is. And he allows them to go home with a bunch of food again, but this time he messes with them. This time he tests them. He, he, he tells his servant to put a silver cup in Benjamin's bag. The silver cup would have been a very expensive cup. It would have been a massive power symbol of the day. And so they stuff it in Benjamin's bag. He hides it in his bag. And then Joseph sends his brothers away. And as his brothers are leaving Egypt yet again, Joseph sends some servants out. And these servants walk up upon Joseph and they say, hey, you wicked, evil men, how could you steal from someone who just saved your life? And the brothers are shocked. They're like, what did we do? We didn't steal anything. We just took the food that you gave us. And, and so much so that the brothers say, hey, if any of us get caught stealing anything, that person is going to die. And then to sweeten the deal, not only will they die, but we'll become the slaves to you forever. And so they search the bags. And of course, they find the silver cup that was in Benjamin's bag. And the brothers are so upset. They literally, scripture says, they tear their clothes in grief. That's how upset they are. And they get taken back to Joseph, knowing that probably like this is it. Like one of them is going to die and the rest of them are going to be slaves forever. Like Benjamin's going to die because he was the one who had the silver cup and they're probably going to be slaves forever. And Joseph looks at them and he says, hey, guys, not all of you are in trouble, just Benjamin. He's the one that had the cup, just the one caught with the silver cup. But Judah, one of the other brothers, steps up and he says, and, and, and Judah's not even the oldest brother. He's just kind of like right there in the middle. Judah steps up, raises his hand and says, you know what? I will take place of Benjamin. I, I will die in his place, his life for my life. And at this moment, when that happens, Joseph can't take it anymore. In fact, look at what scripture says. It says, then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants. And he cried out, have, have everyone leave my presence. And so there was no one with Joseph. So he, he says, he, he's upset. He tells all of his servants, all of his guards to leave his presence. It's just him and his brothers in the room. It says, no one was with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. It's the third time we see this guy cry. It's the third time we see him weep. And the scripture goes on to say, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And we, when he had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one that you sold into slavery in Egypt. But then look at the faith of Joseph. Joseph says, and now don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourself for selling me here because look at, look, at where Joseph, look at where Joseph's perspective is. I mean, it's just amazing. He's like, don't be mad because it was actually to save lives that God sent me here ahead of you. Like that you actually played into this, brothers. Like that I'm actually here on purpose. And it goes on to say, though, so then it was not you who sent me here, but instead God knew I needed to be here. I mean, uh, the faith of Joseph. I mean, in this moment, we see Joseph like complete, like, you're not at wrong. I'm not going to hold you at anything, brothers. 
because God sent me here. I mean, just the, this idea of complete forgiveness that he gives his brothers. And many of us would look at this story and be like, how could you forgive those guys? I mean, how could you forgive the unforgivable? How do you do it? And you might be, maybe you're in here today. You're like, how, how, how can I have the faith to do that? Well, I want to give you this point if you're taking notes. It's this, is that the first step in forgiveness is to write down and grieve what you've lost. And this is something different I didn't talk about in the forgiveness series, but I want to really encourage you to do this today. Like the first thing you need to do is you need to know what you're forgiving. Because my question to you today is going to be, have you ever really processed it? Have you ever really took the time to process what someone took from you? Joseph has this time where he weeps and he weeps and he weeps and he processes what happens to him. In fact, there's three different ways that I believe Joseph processed it. And I want to give you the three different ways. The first one I just mentioned is the fact that Joseph wept. The fact that he literally allowed him, he, he allows himself to process what is done. And can I just say some of you, the reason you can't forgive someone that's hurt you is because some of you, you've never, you've literally never processed what's been taken from you. It's, you you've just never allowed yourself to process it. Instead, what do we do? Well, many of us, we just run past it. If someone hurts us, we just run right past it, and we just think that we're stronger than them, or we at least pretend like we're stronger than them, right? Like, I'm, so, I'm too strong for that. I'm like Mr. Strong right here. You know what I mean? Like, it, okay, it just it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. We don't need to talk about it anymore. It doesn't bother me. Well, when you say things like that, it kind of seems like it bothers you a little bit, doesn't it? Like, if you're saying that, and that's the thing. Joseph doesn't pretend here. Joseph processes the grief and the hurt. Literally, he, he weeps. And can I just talk to the men for just a moment? Because men, we've been taught that real men don't cry. You know, like that this doesn't happen. And yet, in Scripture, we see one of the most godly people we know in Scripture weeping multiple times. And even better, I can take you up another notch. Jesus Literally, I mean, it's the shortest scripture in the Bible. Jesus wept. I mean, Jesus, so if you think real men don't cry, you might need a different role model. Because I, I'm, and I'm just saying, like, and, and can I also say this? Don't be going around crying all the time. Nobody wants, <laughs> nobody wants to cry, baby, right? I mean, that's, that's not what we want. But what I am a lot, what I'm trying to say to you this morning is that there needs to be some time where you do process this grief you got to process what's going on. And acting like what someone did to you just didn't even happen or you're just going to blow past it, like, that's counterproductive. (laughs) Because what do we do? When we don't understand forgiveness, in fact, the reason why we won't even allow ourselves to process it, the reason we don't allow it is because we think forgiveness is saying what someone did is okay. But can I just open, open this door for you? Forgiveness is not saying what they did is okay. It's absolutely not. Listen, when Joseph's brothers came to him, you think Joseph was just like, hey, you remember when you threw me in a pit? And hey, you remember when I begged for my life and begged you not to sell me into slavery and begged me not to, begged you not to kill me? Like, you remember when you sold me into slavery for 20 pieces of silver? Yeah, no big deal. That's not what happens. Joseph literally cries. He weeps. He has this moment where he processes it. And can I tell you, when you forgive someone, you're never saying that what they did was ever okay. You're never saying that, but what you do need to do is process it. And just because you process it doesn't mean you're saying what they did was okay. It's not what it's saying at all. Point number two, 
Joseph focused on the good. He focused on the good. In order to help you process some of this, you need to focus on the good. And I'll say it like this. He didn't allow himself to be overwhelmed by the bad that came from his past, that came from his pain. You remember, um, after he forgives his brothers, he says, there's been good that's come from this. And later in Genesis chapter 50, he'll literally look at his brothers and he'll say, what you intended for evil, God used for good. And so he sees the good in it. In fact, scripture tells us to do this all the time. In Romans chapter 8, in the New Testament, it says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Like God's going to work it out. And even though if it wasn't your plan, God can still work it for the good. And you say, well, Pastor Noah, how could this be good? Well, the reason that we don't like to think about this being good is because we think that it's saying that we, we, we have to trust that person again. And can I tell you this? That forgiveness is not the same thing as trust. Forgiveness and trust are two completely different things. Forgiveness can be instantaneous. I mean, you can, I can forgive someone on the spot today. But trust has to be rebuilt over time. Just because you forgive someone, people think, oh, if I, have, if I have to forgive someone, then now I have to trust them again. Listen, no, you don't. You don't have to trust them. And now, now the goal, maybe, is to eventually trust them again. The goal is to reconcile. That's a whole different word than forgiveness. But reconcile can help you trust them again. But can I tell you, that takes some time. That doesn't happen overnight. And can I tell you, there are some situations that you're just never going to trust that person again. I mean, some of you have been a part of, of, maybe you've been physically or sexually abused by someone. Can I tell you, you might forgive those people. I, I encourage you to forgive that person, but I will also tell you to never trust them again. There's no reason that you ever need to trust them again. You can still forgive them, but I wouldn't trust them again. <laughs> and, I, and the reason that we always focus, again, the reason that we always focus on the bad is because we think, that if we have to forgive someone, we have to trust them. And it's simply not the case. You've, you don't have to trust them, but you can forgive them. And so, because you can forgive them and you don't have to trust them, that means that you can focus on the good, not just the bad that comes out of it. Point number three, Joseph didn't rely on an apology from his brothers before he forgave them. <laughs> And some of you, this is, this is where you're going to have a problem with me today, right? And it's like, I, I do not say, <laughs> you're the type of person who's like, we're going to say, we're going to say, I'm sorry. Like, we're, all, we're going to say it at the same time on the count of three, right? One, two, three, I'm sorry. You didn't say it. I, you know, like, if we, we get upset. If you don't say sorry, then why should I be sorry? But listen, I've searched and searched the study of Joseph here. And there's not a place where Joseph's brothers honestly even attempt to apologize to him. Not at all. In fact, it's actually the opposite. That when, when Joseph finally speaks to his brothers, and when he has this moment of weeping over them and forgiving them, they don't even speak to him. In fact, later, when they finally have a response for what's going on, look at what Scripture says. It says he kissed all of his brothers and he wept over them. And you think, well, what's the brother's response to this? But by Joseph doing this, he's basically saying, guys, I love you. I forgive you. You're my own. I let it go. And you'd think, oh, they'd say, well, yeah, I'm sorry too. Maybe we shouldn't have done that. Maybe we shouldn't have thrown you in a pit. No, what did they do? It says this. Afterwards, his brothers just talked to him. And this Hebrew word, because I, I, I really wanted to know this this week, this Hebrew word talked 
actually, it shows no emotion at all. It just basically means they said words to him. Like they didn't, they didn't show any emotion. There's no remorse related to this word. And we, we don't have an example of his brothers ever saying, I'm sorry. And you know what keeps so many people from forgiving someone else? It's the fact that you are still waiting for them to come and apologize to you. And can I just tell you, they might not ever do that. And I'm sorry to say it, and I'm sorry... Can I, we'll just we'll say it like this with Dan in the room. People suck, right? I mean, I, people just suck sometimes, you know, and that's, that's sometimes our conversations that what we talk about. Like, people just suck. And sometimes, I'm, not everyone is going to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, can you please forgive me? They're not going to say that. And, so, and can I tell you, that person that hurt you may never, ever say sorry again in your life. And can I tell you, I, I mean, I, I like, totally understand this. I mean, the person I have the hardest time forgiving is someone who never says they're sorry. It's Emily, my wife. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> it's just kidding. Yeah, she's like, hmm. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. She's great at saying sorry. We say sorry all the time to each other, right? And uh, <laughs> no, I, I'm probably the one. I, I am definitely the one in the relationship that struggles with this. But I've, what, what, I'm, what am I saying here? I'm saying... And listen, you can't wait for that person. You've got to forgive them in your heart, and it will rot you from the inside when you hold on to this unforgiveness. But why do we, why do, we do this? Why, why, why don't we go ahead and say we're sorry? Well, it's because we think that when we say sorry, it means that we're just forgetting what's happened. And can I tell you, forgiveness is not forgetting. It's not forgetting about the offense. I mean, you think Joseph ever, <laughs> you think Joseph never thought about what his brothers did? Like, you think he never thought about it again after he said he was sorry? No, not at all. I mean, literally, like, his brothers eventually would move to Egypt with him. He gives them a home. He takes care of them. Like, I think Joseph might had to forgive him, like, every day, you know? Like, he probably thought about it a lot. Like, forgiveness is not forgetting. And because forgiveness is not forgetting, guess what? I don't have to wait on an apology from them. You see where I'm going here? All right. And you say, okay, if this is what forgiveness is not, then what is true forgiveness? What is forgiveness? Well, I want to show you this. This is very interesting. It's this, is that forgiveness in scripture is linked as a financial term. That when we talk about forgiveness, forgiveness is literally financial language in scripture. I'll show you the perfect example, one that everyone knows that you probably don't know that you know, but you know it because Jesus talks about it in the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, and forgive us, look at this financial language, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Jesus using financial language here because in Scripture, this word forgiveness is almost always linked to a financial type of concept. It's no different than if anyone owed you some type of financial debt. What happens when, it, it, it would be forgiveness is like you saying that you have this great debt against somebody, and it would be like you saying, I'm just going to wipe it out. Like, you don't owe me any more money anymore. 
<laughs> yeah, you owe me, you're like, you owe me five or six hundred bucks because remember when you asked for twenty dollars here? You you know parents when you just, you know, like I, I gave you twenty dollars here and fifty dollars here, and like it's like you saying, Hey, you just don't owe it. Like the slate is clean. It's what forgiveness is. It's actually saying to someone, I let you go. Like I'm gonna let it go. I no longer demand payment for what you owe me. That's why you're taking notes, I'd say this, that the second step of forgiveness is to let go of what someone owes you. You just got to let it go. In fact, do you know that the only part of the Lord's Prayer that Jesus comments on after, after he says the Lord's Prayer, the only part that he comments on afterwards is he says it's all about forgiveness. He says, forgive those around you as you've been forgiven. And he says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But, oh, he gives us a warning here. He says, but if, if you're not going to forgive others of their sins, then your father, how will he ever forgive your sins? He's not going to forgive your sins. See, I think Jesus knows this. Jesus knows that forgiveness is a beautiful word when we need it, but it's often an ugly word when we have to give it, isn't it? <laughs> We like it when we need it, but man, when we have to give it, it's not so powerful. But can I tell you the most powerful thing you'll ever do in your life is to forgive someone else, to release, literally, my slate is clean, like, like you don't owe me anything anymore, to release that pain and hurt and pressure in your heart. And can I tell you, you, you might just even have to forgive over and over again. You know what? <laughs> You know why you might have to forgive over and over again? Because it's the same way that God continues to forgive you over and over again. Why should I, when it all gets, if I could take it all back to one single thing, why should we forgive? We forgive because we've been forgiven. Listen, when we didn't deserve it, when we, when we couldn't earn it, listen, We've, we, the only reason that we can stand here and forgive is because we've first been forgiven. And I wanted to end this series today by us just remembering that God went to some great lengths to forgive us. He went to a great length to forgive us for what we've done. And so, so that we could be forgiven, do you know that God would literally send his son Jesus to die the most brutal death possible I think this world's ever seen so that you can be forgiven you know how we remember that we remember that forgiveness by literally taking communion that's why we're going to take communion today in fact you can if you if you want to take communion with us you can just grab the elements and the seat back in front of you but we're going to take just a moment and before we do that I want to tell you about what I believe is the most amazing part of the entire story of Joseph. It's the fact, you remember when I was talking about this brother named Benjamin who gets caught with the silver cup. You remember this part of the story? He gets caught with the silver cup. They come, the, the, they, they bring him back to Joseph and they all say, oh wow, we'll, we'll step up and we'll, we'll take his place. And, and, and Joseph says, no, it's Benjamin who got caught. Benjamin deserves to die. Well, what's interesting is, remember the brother I talked to you about, this guy named Judah? Judah steps up and he says, I'll take his place. 
like my life for his life, I'll die in his place. You ever wonder why Judah? Like, why would Judah? He's not the oldest brother. He's not the dad. He's just some guy in the middle, right? I mean, why, why, would, he be, why would he be the one to step up? Out of all the brothers, why would, why would he take the place? Why did he step forward? Well, it's because the story of Joseph, and as you'll find with so many parts of the Bible, the entire Bible points to one person. And it shows us one guy whose name is Jesus. And the story of Joseph is a complete foreshadowing of who Jesus is. I mean, think about this. Out of all the 12 brothers that Joseph had, which brother did Jesus come through? Which brother, like Jesus, the, literally the family line will be traced back to one brother, and it's Judah. Judah. You know, Jesus literally is named the Lion of the tribe of Judah. It's not a coincidence that Judah stepped up and said, I'll take his place. I'll die in his place. It's not. It's just a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do when he forgave us. Just like Judah, Jesus would step into our place, into a place where we deserve to die. (laughs) We got caught with the silver cup, everyone. Like we're the ones caught. And even if it really wasn't our fault, right? We still got caught. We're the ones who deserve to die. But Jesus, just like Judah, steps up. And it's what we remember in communion. The fact that he stepped up, that he took our place. And can I tell you, if he could, if Jesus could forgive me of everything that I've done, then what's holding me back from forgiving other people? I mean, I've got to forgive. And so I wanted to end today by just asking you, like, here's the million dollar question today. How can you forgive someone if you really don't know what they owe you? And that's why today we're actually going to take a moment. It's going to be kind of silent. The Lord's going to play for us on the piano. But we're going to take a moment to just reflect. And what I want to do today is first, remember this first point I asked you, that the first step of forgiveness is to write down and grieve what you've lost. I'm going to give you a moment just to write down and literally grieve what you've lost. Because you have to know what someone owes you. That in order, you you can't just forgive someone from just a super high level. You've got to say, this is what you owe me. And this is the debt that I'm canceling out. And I'm going to challenge you to do this today. In fact, if you've got a piece of paper, you got your note-taking piece of paper, just get it out. Maybe you don't have that, get your phone out. And would you just put, there's someone, I know there's someone on your mind today that you need to forgive. And would you just put the name of that person at the top of the paper? And would you just say, hey, what do they owe me? What did they take from me? Can I give you a few suggestions, a few things that maybe would be on your list? Maybe for some of you today, maybe someone took your childhood. Maybe someone took your innocence from you. Maybe someone took your trust and authority. Might be someone who took your reputation. Maybe someone just took a friendship that you loved, right? Maybe it's someone who just literally took your peace away from you. Who are they and what do they owe you? Would you just take a moment just to write that down? And then what I'm gonna ask you to do is to just release it, just to let it go and just decide like, (laughs) you know what's amazing is that when you do this, oftentimes you'll find that when someone owes you, they couldn't even give that very, they couldn't even give your list back to you if they wanted to. Like if someone took your childhood, 
they can't give that back to you. If someone took your reputation, they can't give that back to you. If someone took your friendships, like how are they supposed to ever give that back? They can't. And so what you can say is, hey, you don't owe me anymore. I'm gonna release it from you just like Jesus released it from me. And then at that moment is when I want you to take communion. Because listen, they can't give you back your peace. (laughs) Only God can. And that's why we take it. And that's why we remember what God has done for us. Your peace only comes from God. So take just a moment. I'm gonna give you two minutes to reflect, write, pray about, and at your own time, you don't have to, we're not gonna, we're not just gonna take communion all together at your own time. You take communion right there in your seat. Take just a moment and do that. feel the release in this room I mean I just your peace is coming back I mean your your mental you're restoring your mental health right now I mean it's just I'm just telling you that if you feel stuck on a detour I mean what we've been talking about the last couple weeks if you feel stuck listen I want you to know that you cannot move past what you won't forgive. You have to forgive it. And you're gonna, if you don't forgive it, you will feel stuck the rest of your life. And so I hope in this moment, I just prayed this week that God would just use this moment just to heal you and to just transform your heart. And I will tell you this, that listen, forgiveness won't change your past. Like it's not gonna change what, what's happened in the past but it can change your outlook on the future. And so it's so important that we take a moment and we forgive. And we forgive because we remember that Jesus, his body, his blood, what he did for us. That's why we celebrate communion. It's a reason why we can forgive. Why don't you close your eyes, bow your heads. I just wanna pray over you today. Lord, we love you. And Lord, as we conclude this series on Joseph, Lord, I thank you 
for your beautiful word that brings life and light into our life. God, I thank you for the the story of Joseph, that Lord, it's so much more than just a story that we read, but Lord, it's a foreshadowing of what you would do for us. Lord, how you would forgive us. Lord, I thank you for Joseph's brother, Judah, that was willing to step up and take the place. Lord, just like you did for us, Lord, when we deserve death, when we deserved hell and the grave, Lord, you stepped up, Lord, you took our place. And so, Lord, we remember that today. We remember what you've done in the, and what you've done in our lives. And, Lord, today we say that because you've forgiven us much, Lord, we can now forgive other people. And so, Lord, we release it right now. Lord, we process, we take a moment just to process that grief and pain. And Lord, some of us may weep, some of us may be angry, some of us may be frustrated. Lord, so we're gonna show all kinds of emotions. But Lord, in that moment, would you help us to process it? Lord, would you just help us to come to terms with it? And then Lord, as we, as we process that, as we, as we write it down, as we know what we need to forgive, Lord, would you help us to just release it? Because Lord, it's doing us no good to hold on to it. And so, Lord, we we commit to releasing it, Lord. Jesus, as you said in the Lord's prayer, Lord, we forgive those who trespass against us. Lord, we forgive them today. And Lord, I love you. Lord, we thank you for the forgiveness that we've received and the forgiveness that we can give. We pray this in your precious name. Amen. With your heads bowed, eyes closed, some of you are in this room today. And you need to accept the forgiveness that Jesus offers. And if that's you today, we've talked about the story of Jesus, how he took your place to die in your spot, punishment that you deserve. And if that's you today and you say, I just need to receive it so I can give it. I need to receive that forgiveness so I can give it. If that's you, would you pray this prayer with me? In fact, church, we all believe it. Would you just repeat this after me? Say this, say, dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on a cross in my place. But I thank you for raising him from the dead. Say this, say, Jesus, I make you my Lord. I give you my life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And thank you for giving me the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Would you give it up for all the people who prayed that prayer this morning?